Good morning. Oh, that's great. I didn't know what I was going to get on New Year's morning after being up late, all that. I'm glad you're here. The godly folks show up at the early service on New Year's Day, by the way, so I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'll just have to tell you, I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Our teaching team's been looking forward to this for weeks. Your elders, I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to walk through this great jewel of a book we call Hebrews for the next year together. There is a ton there, and I'm thrilled to walk through this great book with you. So just hold your place there. We're going to dive in just a few minutes, but I do want to say Happy New Year to you. Uh, my brothers and sisters, uh, really looking forward to walking through another year with you as a church family. Uh, today's kind of one of those special days for us. This is a, uh, it really begins year 13 for my family and I to be here at TCBC. Uh, 13 years ago, we began the journey here. We're unpacking boxes and all that for moving from Vegas, but we're thrilled to begin another year with you, our church family. So happy new year. Don't know how you and your family celebrated New Year over the past couple days, but uh, I did stumble across on the internet, now you have to be careful, right? I stumbled across some interesting New Year's traditions. Maybe you can relate to some of these, I don't know, some of these from around the world, but I learned that in the country of Mexico, to celebrate New Year, they give the gift of homemade tamales on New Year. That's pretty cool. I'd take that. Uh, in Puerto Rico, they celebrate the new year with a thorough cleaning of their entire house. Well, that doesn't sound like very much fun. Uh, I also learned that in Denmark, it is tradition to get a bunch of old plates and just throw them against a the wall. I don't know why. That's just what they do in Denmark. In the United States, we know this, but there are some traditions. We watch the ball drop. Maybe some of you guys stayed up late last night. Fireworks. You, you've seen some of those go on. And the midnight kiss, right? When the new year reigns in, you kiss someone you love close to you. That could turn out really good. That could turn out bad. I don't know. But the midnight kiss. The greatest tradition I found, ready, was from the state of West Virginia. Here's, yeah, here's a new year's tradition. They have a traditional meal in the state of West Virginia made up of black-eyed peas, greens, and hog jaws. Now, I had to look up what a hog jaw was, J-O-W-L, and you can look it up on your own. If you don't know what a hog jaw is, here was the description. It said, the hog jaw is best if you eat it and it still has a few teeth remaining in it. <laughs> Hard pass on the West Virginia tradition for me, personally. But this morning, as a church family, we are going to kick off the new year this way. We are going to turn our attention to the Word of God. And we are going to focus our hearts and our energies and our efforts through this great book of Hebrews, literally for the next 10, 11, 12 months together. Now, if you are new to TCBC, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe you're back, whatever it is, uh, we have a core principle that guides everything we do. This core principle is called biblical authority, and we want you to know unashamedly, if you're a part of our church family, you know this, we believe to the very core of who we are 
that this book is God-breathed, it is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is sufficient. And we will dedicate our hearts and our minds and our lives to knowing and living out the truths of this book by God's power and Christ in us. So I'm thrilled to walk verse by verse through the book of Hebrews with you for the next year. Now, let me get some things in place as we uh, launch into this study. How can you uh, make the most out of this study of Hebrews over the next year? Well, let me give you some ways really quick. Number one is read through the book of Hebrews together as a church family. Uh, you guys know we've produced this reading guide. It's available in print. It's available online. There's power when we read the Word of God. There's extra power when we're reading the Word of God together. So follow along the book of Hebrews. That's available for you. Secondly, this gather together. Prioritize this gathering, 930, 11 o'clock. We're going to each week walk through verse by verse a section of Hebrews. Don't miss it. Prioritize that. Thirdly, spend time in studying the book of Hebrews. There are many resources available for you online. We provided a ton of helps and resources for you to dig into this book of Hebrews. Study is a personal pursuit, but it's not a private one. We're going to study the book of Hebrews together. And then finally, I want you to talk through the book of Hebrews together. Approach the book of Hebrews, yes, as a disciple. You're growing as a disciple, but also as a disciple maker. So going to hear more at the end of the service about go groups, opportunities for you to plug in with others where you can pursue and get more and share more, invest in others around this great book of Hebrews, okay? All right, now, here is my job and my assignment for you this morning. It's my job to prepare for us and set the table, so to speak, so that when we begin reading the book of Hebrews, you'll kind of understand the big picture and what's going on in this jewel of a book of Hebrews. Now, when you come to the book of Hebrews, just want to be really honest, it's an incredible book, 13 chapters. Hebrews is not an easy book. Hebrews deals with a lot of lofty things. It involves a lot of thinking and hard meditating and work and study. It's not an easy book, but man, the study is worth it in the book of Hebrews. Like any other book, there are some really difficult and challenging questions we have to ask as we approach a book of the Bible. When you sit down to begin to study of the book of the Bible, you need to ask some key questions like, who's the author? Who are the recipients? Who is this letter written to? Why was this letter written? What's the context of this letter? There are a ton of verses in Hebrews that you're probably familiar with. You're going to hear these verses. You're going to say, oh, I know. I've heard that before. It's on my refrigerator. But I have no idea the context. I don't know how it fits. I don't know why it's there. A dangerous question to ask when you're studying the Bible is this. Okay, I'm going to pick out a verse. I'm going to read it. I'm going to determine, okay, here's what that means to me. Well, that's not really how we rightly interpret the Bible. We say, okay, what did the author initially mean under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to those he was writing to then? And then we take those truths with the power of the Spirit and we apply those truths to our lives today. 
So my goal for you this morning is to set a little bit of the furniture, try to give you a framework, a big picture of the book of Hebrews as we read and study together, okay? You guys ready? Two of you. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. All right. Question number one. Who in the world wrote Hebrews? Who is the author, the human author of the book of Hebrews? You ready? We have no idea. Bible doesn't tell us. The author does not identify himself in the book of Hebrews. There have been thousands of years of debate between Paul and Barnabas and Silas and all these different names. Here's the bottom line. The Bible does not tell us who wrote Hebrews, so we don't need to know. <laughs> we don't have to know. Now, in your groups, you're going to debate, and you're going to say, well, you know, I think it was this God. I think it was this brother. That's fine. Don't waste your time chasing what the Bible doesn't say. You got plenty of work. I got plenty of work to do to what the Bible does say. We don't know who the author was. Here's what we do know about him. He was clearly of Jewish background. Uh, the author was a master of the Greek language. From just a literary work, the book of Hebrews is a masterpiece the way it was written. You're going to see that as you read it. The author possessed a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And the author has clear intention in this letter of offering strong encouragement to a persecuted and struggling community of Jewish believers. He's trying to give strong encouragement to this community of Jewish believers. So we don't know who he was. We'll find out more about his intention. But here's what we know. The book of Hebrews was ultimately inspired and written by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Holy Spirit has given us this book of Hebrews for us today. Now, secondly, who were the recipients of the book of Hebrews? You try to figure out a letter, you try to figure out any piece of literature, you start to try to study something from, from antiquity, you, you figure out, okay, who wrote this thing, if you can, and then who is he writing to? Because a lot of Hebrews is written in a certain way, with a certain bent, in a certain direction, to particular groups of people. And we're going to twist and we're going to distort Hebrews, which happens a lot, if we don't understand, okay, who was this author writing to? You can write down some of these. These are in your notes online. I should give you this framework. We know that the recipients, it was primarily a Jewish community of faith. We know that this author knew this community of faith. He, he knew a lot of them. He long to be reunited with them. In Hebrews 13, 19, he says, I urge you the more earnestly, do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Whoever the author was, he knew his recipients. He knew them personally. He was taken away from them for a period of time. We don't know why. He said, I want to be reunited with you the sooner. So he knew his recipients. People who receive this letter are living in the first century, so we're talking about 2,000 years ago, somewhere between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and somewhere before 
the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in AD 70. And that's important. We're going to talk about why that's important later for you history buffs. Somewhere around 50 or 60 AD, this letter was written and distributed to this Jewish community of faith in the Roman world. Okay? Those are your recipients. Now, what I'm going to share for the next few minutes is going to take your attention. I, I want you to stay with me, but I want you to understand the, the perspective of the book of Hebrews and why it was written and the way it was written to these recipients. Here's a couple keys to you understanding the book of Hebrews. Number one, the book of Hebrews was written assuming a knowledge of the Old Testament. <laughs> In other words, this writer is writing to the recipients then, the recipients now, assuming that, he's going, that, that you have a working knowledge of your Old Testament. And some of you say, oh no, I'm in trouble. All right, don't panic. That's why we're going to study and read through the book of Hebrews, watch this, with our Bibles open and particularly our Old Testaments open. Because there's so much in Hebrews that connects back to the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. You're going to be reading along and you're going to come in Hebrews and you're going to stumble across this guy named Melchizedek. And you're going to go, who in the world is this strange character? And you can go, well, I don't know. I, I guess I could just move on. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to stop. I'm going to find a cross-reference. I'm going to back up and I'm going to go read and study. I'm going to spend time in my Old Testament so I'll better understand Hebrews. There's an assumption of this Old Testament knowledge. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next year in the Old Testament as a church. It's one of the reasons, actually, we chose Hebrews was to pull in so much of the history and the authority of the Old Testament that gives foundation to your New Testament and to your faith as followers of Jesus. So it's going to assume a degree of knowledge of the Old Testament. Now secondly, to rightly understand Hebrews, it's going to assume a basic understanding of the big tension of the Old Testament. In other words, there's an overarching theme and question of the Old Testament that prepares us for the book of Hebrews. What is it? Here's the question. question that the Old Testament wrestles with, the old question that the Old Testament attempts to answer is this. How can sinful humanity be in right fellowship with righteous, holy, glorious Creator God Almighty? Now pause right there for just a second. The story and the theme of the Old Testament is trying to wrestle with, okay, God creates His people. He loves His people. He wants to be in communion with His people. Sin has entered in, broken that relationship. We are culpable. Sin is hideous. God is holy. How can holy, perfect, sinless, righteous God be in right relationship with rebellious sinful humanity that's the tension of the old testament see that so what the old testament does is over and over yields the question and the answer you cannot be in right relationship with god left to yourself sin has severed our relationship with god 
But at the same time, from Genesis 3 all the way through the end of the book of Malachi, there is a picture of a covenant faithful God who is pursuing his people and has made provision so his people can be in fellowship with him. That's good news, by the way. The Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi, now listen, this is huge, is full of promises and pictures of God's redemptive plan. There's promises. All the way back in Genesis 12 with a man named Abraham. Remember that? God is going to redeem a people. He says, Abraham, through you, you're going to have a great, 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 great grandson one day. That great, 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 great grandson. He's going to be a blessing to the world, picturing Jesus who would come. A promise was made. So you see this promise made through the whole Old Testament. Now, stick with me. The Old Testament also provides you with picture after picture after picture of these realities of God's redemptive plan. Say, so what do you mean by that, Pastor Mike? I, I, I'm, I'm losing. Particularly in Genesis through Deuteronomy, you have this sacrificial system inaugurated by God to his people. You say, I've heard something about that. I don't know a lot about it. When I get to Leviticus, I get a little squirrely in my head. I don't understand all the sacrifices. I don't understand the priests. I don't understand all these feasts. I don't understand what all that means. Help me understand that. All of those are a picture given of God's redemptive plan that will be fulfilled in his promise when Messiah comes. Okay, now hold on to that. I'll give you another illustration. In the Old Testament, God gave his people something all the way back in Exodus. Maybe you remember this. They're traveling through the wilderness, and, and God says, Okay, here's what I want you to do I want you to build this structure called a tabernacle. And this tabernacle is to be a picture of right worship with God. This tabernacle was to be a picture that God desires communion with his people, and, but yet this communion has been broken by sin. And God said, okay, build this tabernacle, this temple. And I'm not going to go into all the details. Hebrews is going to tell you a lot about that. But the picture was this. You want to worship? You want to know your God? You come to this tabernacle. But the people came to the tabernacle and they could not worship apart from a sacrifice Something had to die. Blood had to be spilled. The sin was hideous. The price of sin was great. And so the people of Israel, day after day, year after year, century after century, would come to the tabernacle. They would come to the place of worship. At the very center was the Holy of Holies, representing the place of God's presence. And there had to be a blood sacrifice for the people to worship. Why? Because sin is hideous. God is holy. Right? Hang with me. And then God said, you're going to have something called a high priest. And this priest, he's going to sacrifice these lambs year after year. And there's going to be blood and it's going to be everywhere because your sin is so hideous. But this priest is going to be your mediator. And he's going to have to give a sacrifice for his sin. And then he will actually go into the inner place of this tabernacle representing communion with God. You can't go in because of your sin, but you have to have a mediator. So year after year after year after year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, 
That's how the people of God learn. Sin is hideous. God desires communion with us. We need a mediator. Now watch. And that picture was painted for 14, 1500 years to the people of Israel. It was a picture of God's promise that was coming. And then for you and me, and the recipients of the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, the picture has been fulfilled in the Messiah. He's here. Galatians 4.4, 4, you don't have to look it up, but Galatians says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law. The shadow that was all those pictures now has a reality in the person of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen and hallelujah. Right? Now, watch. One of the problems with the book of Hebrews is that many of those Jews could not let go of the picture. They had been brought up by their mom and dad and year after year they had practiced what God called them to do. And they went to the temple and they sacrificed their lamb and they trusted the high priest and they believed in this system. But they grew too fond of the picture so that when the reality came, they couldn't let go of the picture to embrace by faith the real thing. That's the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews is declaring that yes, all that God gave you was good. It was a picture. They were promises. There was a high priest. There were sacrifices. There was a temple. There were all these outward signs. But the book of Hebrews declares this. Now you have something better. His name is Jesus. The fulfillment of all of it. That's the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews comes into play. And you don't have to look this up. I think these verses will be on the screen for you. I'm going to try to pull some different verses just so you'll understand the big picture of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, the author says this as a little bit of a summary. Hebrews 10, 3 and 4, he says, referring back to this Old Testament system. He says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Every time a, a Jew would go and kill the sacrifice or the lamb or the priest would do that there was to be a reminder of the hideous nature of sin that sin demands death the wages of sin is hideous for it is impossible the writer of Hebrews says verse 4 for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin never did one of those sacrifices take away a sin it was a picture of what was to come chapter 10 verse 3 or verse 11 and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered, this is good news right here, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of God. Work finished. Verse 14. For by a single offering, He, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then you get to verse 19 of chapter 10 that says, Therefore, oh, this is incredible. You read this as a Jew, and you read this knowing the picture that was painted. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the holy place was inaccessible to any Jew, only the high priest once a year. But now Jesus, here's the message, have confidence, draw near to the holy place, enter into the very presence of God. Verse 22, let us draw near. And that is a glorious picture. So as you read the book of Hebrews, understand that Hebrews is providing really in a unique place in the whole canon of Scripture what no other book does. It is linking all that you have in the Old Testament and it's linking to all that you have in the New Testament to help you understand. This is the foundation Old Testament. This is the fulfillment New Testament. That's the way the Bible works. And we have the privilege and the blessing of being on this side of the fulfillment of all that is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple more things and then we're going to dive into chapter 1, verse 1, I promise, in just a minute, okay? A lot of background. I told you earlier, some of these Jews were not believing. So the author of Hebrews particularly is writing not just to one group, He's writing to three different groups within one group. Let me tell you what those are really quick, and it'll help you understand some of these difficult passages. Number one, he has three different groups he's writing to. First group he's writing is, is to authentic followers of Jesus. These are Jews who have let go of the old system. They are embracing the new in the person of Jesus. They've heard the message from the apostles. They're believing Jesus to be their Messiah, and they are pressing on in faith, believing Jesus is the Messiah. But they're facing difficulty and it's costing them something. Their unbelieving Jewish brothers and sisters are frustrated with them. Family members are frustrated with them. And listen, just like us, just like it's increasing in our culture, it's costing this group something to continue to follow Jesus, the Messiah, especially as a Jew. So the author of Hebrews is writing things like chapter 4, verse 14, to this group to say, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Meaning, it's costing you something, you're facing persecution, you're facing ridicule, you're facing it from your family and friends, press on. Jesus is worth it. Things like, then let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Press on, brothers and sisters. Your confidence is well-placed. Jesus is better. That's the message to that group of people. There's a second group of people, quickly. This group of people that the author of Hebrews is writing to is this group. They fully agree with the message of Jesus. They're a part of the community, but they have not yet crossed the line of faith and repentance. They intellectually agree with everything. Oh yeah, I believe he's the Messiah. 
Oh, yeah, I agree with all that. Oh, yeah. But because of fear, because of doubt, because of persecution, they have not yet crossed that line of faith. And they are in danger of shrinking back, of recoiling, of having revelation given to them, but then turning and walking away from it. The author of Hebrews is writing to this group. And he says, you are like the children of Israel who were right on the verge of the promised land. Remember the book of Numbers? They saw the promised land. God said, it's yours. Go after it. And the Bible says, they did not enter because of unbelief. Right of Hebrews is going to talk about that as an illustration. And I'll just be honest, some of us in this room fit that category. You can give all the answers, you can say all the things, you identify with the group. Some reason, somehow, some way, you have yet to cross the line of faith and repentance and be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the message of Hebrews is to you, why would you reject this gift that has been given to you? Come and believe in Jesus the Messiah. Third group, quickly. This group was associated with God's people but were for the most part ignorant of the truths about Jesus. They connected, they're like cultural Christians of today, they're kind of in the, in the setting, but they cannot, they don't even know the truths, they haven't been confronted with the person of who Jesus is and the full message of the gospel, that's this group. And the book of Hebrews explains in great detail, here's who Jesus is, here's what he's done, draw near. So you have three different groups here in the book of Hebrews. And to every group, the message is the same. Ready? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better substitute. He's the better high priest. He's the better revelation. He's the better covenant. He brings us a better country. We have a better resurrection. Jesus is better. That's the message to us and to every one of these groups. Now, let's take a breath, all right? All that is hopefully to set a table for you as you jump into the book of Hebrews. Now, I want you to look with me. We're going to quickly go through the first three verses of this great book together. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews gives you an introduction here to really set the tempo for the whole book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you a big truth, a few application points. And then we're going to wrap up our time and we're going to launch into this great book together. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You can read along with me. It says this, long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The book of Hebrews begins by looking back. Remember back to the Old Testament. You see that here. But verse 2, but in these last days. He, God, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He has created the world. Verse 3, He, Jesus, is the radiance of His glory. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds all things, the universe, by the word of His power. Verse 3, after making purification of sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Quickly, we're going to see that Jesus is better. This morning, I want us to simply see this. The author of Hebrews at the beginning is declaring, Jesus is the better revelation. Jesus is 
is the better revelation. What do we mean by that? Look back with me, verse 1. Writer of Hebrews says, long ago, taking you back into the redemptive history, the history of the nation of Israel, all the way back through the Old Testament, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God did something. The writer of Hebrews says God spoke. God has revealed himself. God has been in the business of making himself known to our fathers by the prophets. Now, this is an incredible doctrine in reality here. We're going to spend time talking about this some next week. But here's the good news for you and me. Our God is a God who is chosen by grace to make himself known to you and me. You read verse 1 of Hebrews, and it is to create this sense of gratitude and thankfulness that left to ourselves, we would never have the capacity to know and understand God if he had not chosen to make himself known. God is a God who speaks. He chooses as an act of undeserved grace to make himself known to his creation, to us. It's called revelation. That's the biblical theological word for it. Carl Henry says it is God's willful disclosure of himself. He's choosing to make himself known. So what you have is the the author of Hebrews is saying, okay, up to this point, you have 39, 39 books of the Old Testament, the inspired word of God. You have the faithful record of God making himself known through miracles and dreams and events and prophets from Genesis to Malachi. It's this history of God making himself known. The author of Hebrews is affirming the authority of the Old Testament. He says, long ago and many times in many ways, God was making himself known. Now, I really do want you to meditate on that reality because apart from God's grace and opening our eyes and choosing to step into our created world and make himself known, you would never know God. So this is a glorious celebration here of God's faithfulness in making himself known. Now, but the author of Hebrews says up to this point, He has done this in various portions and in many ways. The word ways means portion. It means fragment. It means pieces. It means not complete. It means not full. All of these revelations of God were not complete. They were lacking. They were pointing to something to come. Albert Moeller says it this way. The Old Testament is a story in need of a conclusion. The fathers and the prophets indeed spoke the word of God, but that word was not the final word. So the author of Hebrews is starting the entire book and saying, God in his grace has made himself known since the beginning. He's revealed himself to us in various portions and in various ways, but it was incomplete. See that? So your big truth here is simply this. God made himself known long ago. But the story's not over. Read on. 
Verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then you come to verse 2, and it jumps off the page. But in these last days, that's a messianic phrase speaking of the time that we are living in. It's the time from the resurrection of Jesus to the return of Jesus. The author of Hebrews is saying, now the revelatory activity of God, God making himself known, is different. How's it different? Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Here's your second big idea. God makes himself known to us in his Son. And you're reading this and it just jumps off the page that in former times God made himself known in a certain way, but it was incomplete. But now, now there's a shift in God's revelation. Last day's messianic term. There's a verb tense shift here. You say, oh, don't get into verbs with me, Pastor Mike. Hey, verb tenses matter. Remember that? He says God spoke, past tense, but now he has spoken Perfect tense, meaning a completed action, something full, something done that has lasting results into our present time. God has done something different. He has fully spoken to us in His Son. Various portions versus His Son. Progressive revelation versus full and complete. Here's the bottom line. Jesus Christ is the better revelation. All the pictures... All the illusions have now found their fulfillment, and we have the record of God's full revelation in His Son. Jesus is the fullest, the most complete revelation of the Father possible, since He shares the Father's divine nature as the very second member of the Trinity. Jesus is the full, complete revelation of God. Thank you for your grace. God is knowable. God wants you to know Him. Not through a vision, and not through a dream, and not some portion, and not some impulse that you have, and some feeling that you think, and some distant memory. He has revealed Himself in flesh and blood in the person of His Son because He loves you and wants you to know Him and wants you to have the fulfillment. And He's given us the divine record of it in the pages of Scripture. You have everything you need given to you for life and godliness through the revelation of God and His living Word and His written Word that has been given to us. God is knowable. He's made Himself known to you and me through His Son. And then he goes into this list here, and our time is brief. We're going to be talking about these through the rest of Hebrews, so I'm just going to hit these quick. I want you to read with me, or just follow along. The writer of Hebrews says, this Jesus who has come is the perfect fulfillment of God, the revelation of God. We can know him. And then he gives you some descriptors of who Jesus is. This is glorious. And these are expanded through the whole book of Hebrews. He says, Jesus who... God the Father has appointed the heir of all things. What does that mean? Why is that important? 
If you're a Jew and you read that, you understand that to be the heir of something is a position of rank. It's talking about his rank. It's talking about the idea that Jesus has been entrusted with what? Jesus in his humanity has been given what? Everything. No one has a higher rank than Jesus. He is the heir. He, is, he will be entrusted with all things. And at the consummation of the age, when the king returns, all things will be subjected to him. He will be Lord over all things. Hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. And you know what else is really good news? The Bible says, you know who will reign with him? His people. You and me. Alongside our king who is heir of all things. That's this Jesus. No one of higher rank. And he goes on to say not only is the heir of all things. Through whom also God created the world. He's the author of all things. Nothing's before him. Nothing is after him. He is the author. He is the creator of all things. That's this Jesus. None have a superior rank. None will precede him. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. That's the point of this author. So God made himself known long ago. God made himself known through his son. Then he shifts to verse 3 quickly. Look at this. He says, Jesus, not only is he the heir of all things, not only is he the creator of all things. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Stop right there. You read that and you go, I'm not really sure what that means and it doesn't hit you. If you're a Jew and you're reading that, your mind immediately goes back to what's called the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. All the times in the Old Testament that God gave a visual manifestation of his visible glory. Remember that Moses on the mountain, the Lord passed in front of Moses and his face shone with the sun. The glory filled the temple in the time of Solomon. All these visible manifestations to the glory of God that the Bible tells us so much about. And the book of Hebrews says, you think that is a glory, a manifestation of God? It is nothing compared to the glorious manifestation of God given in the person of Jesus Christ. He radiates the great glory of God. He is the radiance of his glory. And the, the author goes on and says, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. How do we know the character of God? How do we know God's ways? How do we know what God is like? He has taken on flesh and walked among us, and we have the record of it in Scripture. Jesus is not a photocopy of God. Jesus is not merely a likeness or a resemblance. He is the exact representation of God Almighty because he is God in the flesh. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. God is knowable. You can know him through his word and through his son. And he goes on and he says he upholds all things through his powerful word. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. This idea of holding all things together is that of sustaining the world, but it's also of movement and progress. Everything is progressing according to the perfect will of God at the word of King Jesus. He sustains and he advances everything toward its full culmination. And then he says, and he had made purification of sins. He sat down 
Again, you read that with all the understanding of the sacrificial system that we talked about. You go into that temple of worship in the Old Testament, there was a piece of furniture you would never find. You know what it was? A chair. Because nobody ever sat down. You know why? The work of sacrifice, the work of redemption, the work of slaying the lambs and all that. It never stopped because it never finished. Here the author of Hebrews says, when Jesus laid down his life for the purification of our sins, he set down, work finished, hallelujah, what a Savior. And the place that he set down, the Bible says, is at the right hand of the majesty on high that Jesus is seated in the place of ultimate authority. And you know what else is alluded to? We're going to talk about this in the book of Hebrews. It is a picture that you know what Jesus is constantly, constantly, constantly doing on behalf of you and me and every child of God. He is interceding before the Father on our behalf. He is your constant living mediator before God Almighty. Hallelujah. Jesus is better. And the author of Hebrews says this, and I'm going to invite the team on up, and we're going to move into a time of response. And I just want this to kind of fall over you as we prepare to launch into this great book. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have barely scratched the surface of two verses here in your Bible. When it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, the author has declared that he is the Son of God. He is the complete revelation of God. He is the heir of all things. He is the agent of creation. He is the perfect representation of who God is. He is the sustainer of creation. He's the purifier of God's people. He's the intercessor of God's people. No one is of higher rank. No one is before or after him. Jesus is better. My prayer for you and my prayer for me and my prayer over the next few weeks and months for us as a church is that we will take a long, slow worshipful, obedient, sacrificial, loving look at our King Jesus. And you will be convinced with great confidence Jesus is better. There is none like Jesus. And one of my prayers for us is exactly the prayer that is found in the book of Hebrews. And I just want you to hear what, what, what the author of Hebrews wants to see happen through this book. It wants to see it happen in your life, in my life, and your elders are praying this for you and praying this for our church. It says, consider Jesus. Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to consider Jesus, who he is in all his glory. Hebrews 10 says, draw near. There's anything between you and Jesus. There's anything separating you between your creator. Draw near. And Hebrews chapter 10 says that we are to exhort one another day after day, as long as it is called today, that we will be equipped to challenge and pursue and love one another and help one another pursue Jesus. Because Jesus is worth it and Jesus is better. Lord, thank you for this book. 
pray you, Holy Spirit, the author of this book, will be our guide. And you will transform us into your likeness through the book of Hebrews. For Jesus' sake and for your glory. In your great name we pray. Amen. I want to invite